Radio Free Mormon. Welcome real, real. to another episode. Good evening to you, my good friend. Good evening to you, my friend. You are looking dapper tonight. Well, thank you. It's a special occasion. Yeah. Tell us more about it, my friend. Well, I'd be happy to. So here's the deal, okay? We have not announced what we're going to be talking about tonight, and there's a reason for that, and that will become readily apparent as I proceed. First off, I want you to know that we're going to be talking about something very serious tonight. Normally, I uh, make a lot of jokes and I goof around from time to time, but tonight, no, I'm keeping that to a minimum. Tonight is very serious because what we're talking about tonight is the subject of allegations of sexual assault yeah, and, sexu and sexual harassment. Yeah, serious stuff. Yes. Tonight, we're going to discuss an old allegation that has resurfaced recently. The allegation is made by a woman named Ann Peffer McMullen. And the allegation is made against John DeLynn. The allegation she makes is one of sexual harassment or sexual impropriety. After a great deal of discussion here at Mormonism Life, we have decided it is appropriate to use Anne's real name because she is posting, posting publicly about these allegations at her Facebook page under her real name, which is now Anne McMullen. Since she has no problem associating her real name with these allegations, we will follow her lead. Now, when I say the allegation is old, it was first alleged all the way back in 2012, nine years ago. At that time, Anne Peffer McMullen was on the board of the Mormon Stories Foundation, or the Open Stories Foundation, which comprises Mormon Stories and other groups. And as such, she worked with John DeLynn, who was also a member of the board, as were other people. By all accounts, Anne and John developed feelings for each other. But according to Anne, John took their relationship in a sexual direction she did not want. That's the allegation we'll be talking about tonight. A lot of comments are being made all over the blogger knackle on this subject right now. It is an issue of concern to many, and that is why we are going to be talking about it tonight. Now, I want to say at the outset that I do not know what happened. I was not there. I am not a witness. I am not here to take sides. Although I'm an attorney, I represent no party in this matter. What did or did not happen is ultimately known by only two people, Ann Peffer McMullen and John DeLynn. But I have been doing some research into the matter and I have discovered a number of things that I think are germane to the subject and which I want to share with the audience tonight. This show will include a number of documents I have uncovered and also interviews with witnesses who were involved with how these events have unfolded over the years. By way of introduction to these witnesses and these documents, I want to outline the procedural history of these allegations because yes, there has been a procedural history. They have been raised by Ann Peffer McMullen on three occasions. First was back in the summer of 2012. Ann Peffer McMullen filed a complaint against John DeLynn with the Open Stories Foundation Board. An investigation was commenced by the board and Ann Peffer McMullen ultimately withdrew her complaint 
And around this time, Anne Peffer McMullen left Open Stories Foundation. In fact, she, her employment was terminated. We'll talk a little bit more about the details of that tonight, but this is just a thumbnail sketch. That's the first allegation. The second time, I should say, the first time the allegation was made. The second time the allegation was made was not long after that. It was in March of 2013, when Ann Peffer McMullen filed a complaint against the Open Stories Foundation. She filed this complaint with the New Hampshire Council of Human Rights. In her complaint, she made similar sorts of allegations. The, the Open Stories Foundation, once again, she's filing this against the Open Stories Foundation, not against John DeLynn, although it's the, the same kind of sexual harassment allegations that form the basis for a complaint against the Open Stories Foundation in New Hampshire. In response to her complaint filed there, the Open Stories Foundation filed a response with a great deal of documentation. Anne Peffer McMullen withdrew her complaint with the New Hampshire Council of Human Rights in September of 2014, about a year and a half later. And then finally, the third time this was raised in any kind of formal proceeding was in 2018, when Ann Peffer McMullen filed another complaint with the Open Stories Foundation Board. It was the same complaint, but filed once again with the same board as she'd filed it with in 2012. This allegation was once again investigated and found to be without merit. This in broad outline form is the subject we will be covering tonight on Mormonism Live. Now let's get to our first guest. Our first guest is a person who was a member of the board of directors of Open Stories Foundation back in 2012 and 2013 when Ann Peffer McMullen made her initial complaints. May I introduce to you Natasha Helfer. Nice to be with you. Yeah, glad to have you, Natasha. Natasha, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. As I understand it, you were on the board of directors for the Open Stories Foundation back in 2012 and 2013. That is correct. And in the summer of 2012, did anything come to your attention with regard to a relationship between John DeLynn and Ann Peffer? McMullen, by the way, they were both members of the board as well, correct? Correct, as were many other people. We probably had a board of about, I want to say about 10 to 15 people at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what was it that came to your attention? Yeah, so the first thing that came to my attention was from Anne herself as she started communicating some of her concerns with the board members um, in regards to sexual allegations or improprieties between her and John that, of course, we immediately took very seriously. And can I just say something before I go forward? Please say anything. It's very important because in this era of the Me Too movement that I think has been so drastically important uh, for victims of sexual assault and sexual harassment, um, I do want to be clear that most accusations, especially made by women or trans women or minorities, against in particular men are incorrectly dismissed by our legal systems and by our society. And most victims of sexual assault never really get the justice they deserve or are not even willing to try because of the immense public humiliation that can come along with um, trying to get justice. At times, of course, allegations are made that are not fair or valid, but those are a very small percentage. So it is unfortunate in my mind 
whenever this happens that it can cause doubt and other very valid complaints that people have. So I just wanted to start with that. Well, thank you. Not to get too far ahead, but um, am I correct in concluding that you feel that this complaint by Ann Peffer McMullen was one of the latter category and not the former? Correct. I, my experience in this particular situation was that the allegations were false. All right. Now, she made this allegation or, or report to the board of Open Stories Foundation back in August, I think it was, of 2012? Correct. I mean, I... I want to be clear too that it's not like I've gone back and looked at all the dates and emails. I have saved some of those and I could make time for that if needed. Uh, given the last few weeks that I've had, I have not <laughs> had time to yeah. do that. But yes, I, I mean, the dates that you have seem to make sense. And if I have to clarify anything in particular, I do have emails and certain, th certain things, certain conversations recorded that I kept just in case something like this would happen. Do you remember what the nature of her allegation or complaint was? Well, I believe it was in the nature of that she was describing that in order to continue with uh, her job or her responsibilities that she was getting pressure from John to either continue or begin some type of sexual relationship or emotional affair type of relationship. Okay. And she did not want that. Well, that's what she claimed. All right. So what did the board do with that report? Well, so in my understanding, um, there was one member of the board that was approached by Anne first, um, and I believe that was Joanna Brooks. And I think that between Joanna Brooks and Anne and John, they tried to amend a few things and try to solve the problem without even getting the entire board involved because just of the privacy and, you know, kind of reputation types of issues that come come along with any case that has to do with sexual impropriety, right? So I believe that was attempted first when that started breaking apart, then the whole board was involved. And so at that point, um, you know, Joanna may have had more information than the rest of us, but at that point we all did a big pause, like pause, halt, let's, um, let's just not make any decisions. Um, and let's gather as much information as we can. Of course, we're you know we're a, we're a volunteer board of a small organization. It's not like any of us were lawyers or investigators. It's not like we had any uh, real power to do a formal investigation. But we were at least wanting to hear from both sides. We wanted to gather whatever information both sides had about the matter. And I think that we were seriously considering getting legal help for an investigation if it would lead to that. Um, but I don't know that it ever came to that because um, of, of what you're mentioning with Anne, she did. Can I stop you for a second, Natasha? Yeah, sure. I apologize. Mm -hmm. Did anything that, that Anne complained of to the board regarding John DeLynn amount to criminal conduct? Well, the problem was that we never really got any formal information from her. So what she, do you mean? well, meaning she alleged that that some things had happened or that certain uh, process, you know, like like kind of like he's he's taking advantage of his position. Um, I'm being pressured, but there was never like, well, 
and here's an example of how, or here's what happened on this day, or this is what was said, or this is how I was broached, you know, in a sexual way. So all of the allegations were, I don't know if the word is superfluous. Is that the word? Like amorphous, non-specific. I don't know my own English vocabulary. I'm sorry. People have to remember that English is my second language, believe it or not. <laughs> is it really? I had no idea. So sometimes I'm like, is that the right word? They were very vague, I guess. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any like direct, like, you know, yesterday he called me up and he said, if you don't do this, then I'm not going to do that. It was just these kind of process type of allegations. Whereas John was sharing on his end, text conversations, more direct, formal kinds of proof per se of the, the nature of the relationship between him and Anne at the time. Okay, so for me to be clear, did Anne ever make any specific allegation to you and the board against John DeLynn? Well, the allegation, and I don't see, I'm not even sure what allegation necessarily legally means, but her I mean, complaint. Some, I mean, somebody says that somebody did something. Yeah, so her complaint was that John is pressuring me to stay in a sexual relationship with him, even though now I don't want to. I think, you know, she was, she, she did admit that they were consensually having some type of an affair, which I think was mostly emotional um, when we came to find out a lot of the details. But um, but then but then she wanted it to stop, and John was using his position as you know the podcaster and director of Mormon Stories to kind of pressure her to stay in that type of a relationship with him. Did Ann Peffer McMullen ever present you any documentation in support of her claims? Well, she presented a lot of documentation, but I don't know that in support of her claims. In other words, there was no proof, meaning there was no text, there was no emails, there wasn't even like what I would say verbal complaints. Like, you know, she would have said, you know, three days ago, this is what John said to me. Um, and, and then we would have been like, okay, you know, John, did you say this to Anne? You know, like we would, we would have had information, but it was always very abstract as, as I guess how I want. It was vague. It wasn't direct allegations. You mentioned documentation that John DeLynn provided to the board in response to these vague allegations. What was the substance of that? And what did that convince you of, if anything? Well, the texts were very personal. They were between Anne and John, um, and they did definitely imply an, a romantic or emotional affair, you know, that they were having together. Um, and then um, what was very, what was very um, clear is that it was very mutual. And in fact, there were many times that it was Anne herself that was pushing for the relationship to go further than it had with John saying things like, I don't know that we should do that. We need to think about our spouses, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So. Okay. So what was the result that the board reached and the action the board took? Well, it was very complicated. Uh, both Anne and John were not just figures. I mean, most of us were good friends with both of them at the time. Um, all of us, even within the board, were friendly and knew each other. I mean, this is why we were all volunteering for a cause that we all felt passionate about. So, and we, you know, 
the, the allegations were sexual and we are we were always kind of aware that we want to be extra careful around patriarchal issues so i think we went over the top to make sure that Anne would have a fair, um, somewhat equitable um, reaction from the board as John would. So we asked them both to resign from their positions. Both John and Anne to resign. Both John and Anne to resign from the board. Anne to resign, I think, as employees. I don't know if John was employee. Sometimes I'm a little confused about employees versus contractors, but we basically asked both of them to kind of recuse themselves and then enter back into a relationship with the Open Stories Foundation under a 1099 contract position where John would be able to continue to do his Mormon Stories podcast and Anne would be able to do different projects that she had either started or was very involved in kind of building up. And the one that I remember the most was Circling the Wagons uh, project. Um, right, as I understand it, of course, I think everybody knows John DeLynn, uh, does the Mormon Stories podcast and has for a long time and was even then back in 2012, correct? Right. It was his, I mean, that's his creation. Nobody, he, that's his own project, you know, along the, along the way he has invited people to be host. He's invited me to be a host. Um, he invited me to take over like the Mormon Mental Health Association, the Mormon Mental Health podcast He's had other people be hosts. There's always been volunteer energies that, you know, people who want to help. Um, right. And I was I was saying that part to distinguish it from Anne Pepper McMullen, who I understand had been volunteering for maybe a year up to this point and had been doing an absolutely fantastic job with the Circling the Wagons events and also uh, the Mormon Stories Facebook uh, communities in the different cities that were a big thing back then. Is that correct? Yeah. She was doing a really good job with that. Yeah. Anne brought a lot of volunteer energy, as had a lot of people up to that point. Um, and she had a lot of great ideas about mobilizing the community. So instead of having just a podcast that people listen to, well, how do we, you know, have... Um, and I believe that Mormon Stories at the time had a Facebook group already. But she kind of took it to the next level where well, let's make smaller Facebook groups that are geographical so that those who are like in Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas area could make events or get to know each other. So she had a lot of energy that put forth into more um, live events and community events that had to do both for Mormon stories and for circling the wagons. And I don't know exactly what else. And, and she spent so much time that after a while, I mean, she was probably putting in 10 to 15 hours a week, if not 20 hours a week at some, at some points that I'm not, I don't remember if it was her that asked or if John said, maybe we should start paying her. Or if we as a board were like, wow, she's doing a lot more than most of our volunteers. So I think at that point, we all agreed that she should be um, reimbursed, that this no longer fit kind of a volunteer type of energy that she was putting forth. Okay. So at this time now, going back to August, um, did the decision of the board try and take into account the main strengths and interests of both John and Anne and try and come up with a situation and a resolution and answer to this problem that would allow them to both continue to do the things that they specialized in, in a situation where they didn't have to have contact with each other? Correct. That's what we were trying to do. And of course, that was messy because they were very intertwined, right? So 
like John's main project is his Mormon Stories podcast, but she was intertwined in that with the Facebook groups. And she was also coming up with her own ideas or I'm not sure if circling the wagons was her idea or if there was somebody else who had started that and she was helping with that as well. Kind of like she was similarly with John. So, but we could tell from their interactions that having a working relationship between them in any way, shape or form was going to be detrimental to both of them personally and detrimental to any of the projects that they were working on. So we didn't see a way that we could have her continue to run the Mormon stories community groups while John was running the Mormon stories podcast and that go well for them, their spouses, their families, everything. So we were really trying to find ways for them to, um, you know, and, and also, and quite frankly, hadn't put in the time, you know, that John had John at this point had been podcasting for probably six to seven years. I'm not exactly sure when he started and had been a part-time employee for about a year. So their their de their dedication or devotion to these projects was definitely not equal, even though we were trying to give them kind of an equal way to walk away with dignity and respect and still have projects that they felt very deeply about. Okay, so you say the board told both John and Anne that they, had, they needed to resign. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, what would happen to both of them or either of them if they did not resign? Then we would then we would terminate them. They'd be fired. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you, and then they would, uh, they would resign was the plan. And then both of them would reapply to the board as contract workers. You said 1099. Correct. Correct. And, and kind be, of able be able to tell us, okay, this is what I want to be able to do. This is what I want to continue doing. And we would approve it and now have a contract relationship with both of them instead of an employee relationship. Did John DeLynn resign? Yes, he did. And then reapply as a contract worker? Correct. Did Anne agree to resign? She did not. Do you know why not? I don't. But she refused to resign? Correct. So what action did the board take? I believe at that point we terminated her. Okay. And we still gave her a severance package uh, because we did want to, again, like just honor the work that she had done. Um, and that was fairly to me, significant money that, I mean, it's not like we had tons of money at the time. Right. <laughs> and so um, it was, it was, I think a good chunk of money. And, um, and then, you know, and I think we even said, if you change your mind in the future, we can re rethink this. We were not trying to, um, you know, malalign, is that the word? Either John or Anne, we understood that this was pretty much a personal issue gone awry. Um, and I'm sure there was a lot of, I, I can't even begin to speculate on their emotional and issues and how they both felt about their own relationship, how they both felt about having to talk to their partners about what had been happening. So I'm sure that was a very complicated time in both of their lives, just from an emotional and familial relationship status, but that wasn't our business as the board, right? Right. Now, even after Anne was terminated, did she continue to want to press the issue of being allowed to be in charge of the Facebook Mormon stories groups and the circling the wagon events? Yeah, she, I have a feeling that that's what she really did want and why she didn't want to resign because I think we were making it clear that that was not going to be one of the things that we would allow if she came back and asked for a 1099 contract. So okay. that's, a, that's a guess. 
And again, I'm trying to remember a lot of things, <laughs> but um, I think that she definitely, um, the thing that was interesting about her approach is that there was a lot of bombardment, I would say, of information and very, you know, angry tone, threatening tones, even though we were all still very much trying to stay very cordial, um, which again, I, I, I can understand. I mean, it was an emotional time for everybody, right? So if anybody saw me in the last few days, I've been emotional too, right? Whenever you're in distress, <laughs> you kind of get a little bit emotional. Um, but it just seemed like very incessant. And even after th after we had thought that we had kind of put things to rest, there continued to be kind of incessant attempts to contact the board, um, long, 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 long emails, you know, texts. So um, just a lot, a lot coming from her, um, a lot of repetition. And at that point, we were like, you know, if, if there's been something that's been done awry, we're more than happy to have lawyers contact each other, right? So, and if you need legal representation to, you know, take into account whatever you feel like we've done wrong as a board, then we will be more than happy to find legal representation as well. So we were, our board was exhausted. We were all volunteers, not really expecting a big legal <laughs> private dynamic that was kind of being very dramatic. Um, and, and I think that was a big part of why most of the board resigned after that event. It was just too much. We, we realized it's one thing to work on a board and have a meeting every three months and have a little bit of strategy. It's a whole other thing to be on a board where you're trying to deal with legal investigative ramifications. And we as a board spent hours and weeks trying to resolve these issues. And I believe after that experience, I was the only board member left standing. I think so. All right. So having said that much, now I know that in March of 2013, Anne Heffer McMullen is going to file a complaint against the Open Stories Foundation with the New Hampshire Council for Human Rights. Mm -hmm. The Open Stories, well, we'll get to that here in a second, but the Open Stories Foundation filed a response to that. And in right. that response, they included um, a document, they included many documents, but one document they included uh, was characterized in the response as a blackmail email that was sent by Ann Peffer, October 27th of 2012. Do you know what it is I'm talking about? Yes, yes. And this is one only one example of many documents that we were receiving at the time, yes. Okay, can we put that up there, Bill? Yeah, and just FYI, I've got like a bug flying around here. I was wondering what was going on. Nose, and I'm getting annoyed as hell. Yeah, be careful, it's Vincent Price. Oh man, okay. I think this is the one. Okay. And, uh, Do you have anything above that? Yeah, I can put it up there. I just was trying okay. to the names, but yeah. Well, that's important because it's from Ann Peffer. It's to John DeLynn, and this is the subject, Peffer Options. And so in this document, she gives two options. It's quite long. We're actually going to be linking this in the show notes, correct, Bill? So that people... Yeah. Yeah, that's the plan is to put all these docs uh, available to the public so that there's essentially this level of transparency and people can make up their mind. Right. So this one will be up there. So we're not going to read through the entire thing. But basically, the first option, as I take it, is if you let me do what I want and continue to manage 
these open stories or Mormon stories, Facebook um, accounts and the circling the wagons events, that's option one, right? And uh, she goes on and on and actually, and I wish she had numbers, but she only has all these bullet points. Um, so right here, and you can't see where I'm pointing, but hopefully you'll see where I'm reading. Everyone recognizes that the Facebook activities of people to whom they are not married to is not their business. Everyone recognizes that the email activities of people to whom they are not married to is not their business. Um, and now you're scrolling up there, Bill. You're going to lose me, my friend. There's no numbers. I'm getting lost in the sea of words. Um, where where am I? Can you help me out, Bill? Where it says the everyone's. There's two everyone's. Two yes. Does it start with everyone? Right. And But can you keep going down, Bill? Thank you. Okay. So here, let's go with that. John unbans Anne from all OSF groups because he had no right to ban her from them in the first place. And because doing so was retaliation for a report of sexual harassment would be illegal if the OSF had, and now I'm at the bottom of the page, Bill. Thank you. If the OSF had more than 15 employees and is considered unethical by HR standards, I think that's human resources. Mm -hmm. And then option one, the last thing she has is everyone tells the same story. John and Anne had a falling out and decided to work on circling the wagons. John wanted to focus more on school. And then in parentheses, Anne withdrew from school. And now she gives option two. And I think this is why it's characterized in the OSF response later on as a blackmail email. Can we uh, scroll up there, Bill? I hope the fly didn't get him. Bill? <laughs> I, I say up. And when I say up, I mean down. Don't you know that by now, Bill? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, um, oh, that's the last part. And Robert, John, and Margie, therefore, all have the freedom to act like adults without fear of retaliation from anyone else. Option two, we issue ultimatums to one another. We try to tell other people's spouses where they can and cannot go and what they can and cannot do. Um, I'm going to read through this. We pretend that we have authority over people we don't have authority over, and we boss them around and try to twist their arms behind their backs. John tells the world that he and Anne did not have an affair because they never had intercourse. Once again, this is option two. Anne responds by writing a bestseller, telling the world that she and John DeLynn did blank. And when I say blank, that's an underlined blank in the actual text of um, the email. There's nothing been redacted there. That's how it was actually written. So Anne responds by writing a bestseller, telling the world that she and John did blank and that John lied about blank which was exceptionally traumatic for her because it reminded her of bad things in her childhood. Anne plays victim and sobs on camera and posts it on YouTube, then puts up links to the video on message boards. Anne proves sexual harassment to the public and starts trying to get the laws changed. So sexual harassment can exist in organizations with fewer than 15 employees. She tells her personal sexual harassment story every time she speaks to the public and never forgets to mention the hypocrisy of John's public persona. She dies old and feeling bitter because no one ever listens. Once again, this is Ann Peffer writing option two. If uh, she's not allowed to continue to do what she wanted to do. Uh, can you keep scrolling, Bill? She goes on. Ann tells everyone about the OSF's response to her allegation of sexual harassment and includes her suspicion that John and Margie's marital issues spilled all over, that was spilled all over the OSF board while they were trying to cope 
with the problem. She brings Joanna's name into the mix and tells everyone about how Joanna illegally tried to hide firing her from the board and attempted to get everyone to unwittingly agree to a 1099 application that would give John all the past, present, and future money. She provides evidence, of course. Consequently, the OSF's enemies disband the organization and the monies are donated to more ethical nonprofits and continues with option two and posts letters John sent to general authorities on message boards next to sexual communications he sent her. She lines the posts up by date so that everyone can see how they fit together. Robert, who was uh, her husband at the time, Robert reports John to his bishop in an attempt to get John excommunicated. John gets excommunicated and doesn't get excommunicated because she cries in the bishop's office. She puts together a sunstone presentation about how to get out of getting the axe. It's a sensation and gets her on the Ellen show because of her connection with circling. I guess that means circling the wagons. John spends hours and hours of his time defending himself on message boards instead of taking care of his family and helping his children. John starts a new career helping people who were victimized by the fallout of adultery, even though he still claims that he never had an affair because he and Anne didn't have intercourse. Anne makes a lot of money on book sales and retires in Florida. Joanna, Natasha, and Sarah visit her on weekends. So that is the end of her option two. Um, let me just ask you, I know I have certain feelings about it, but my feelings aren't really important for purposes of this podcast tonight. Natasha, uh, do you see that as in any sense blackmail? Sure. I guess, yeah, I guess that's, um, yeah, she's threatening how she's going to go forward if, you know, things don't go her way and making it very clear that she'll kind of have a long-term um, retaliation type of tactic with John and the OSF. And what's interesting too about even option one is I don't understand even most of that. Like, I don't even think that most of those things were even issues. Um, I know Margie was very private throughout that whole event and really didn't have any communication with anybody. Um, I don't know that we heard ever from Robert. Um, it's, you know, the, the spouses were already very private. I think she was upset that she had been blocked from the uh, Mormon Stories community groups that she had been running. At the same time, any company that has a problem with an employee, the first thing they do is block you from everything. They they walk you right out of the office. <laughs> you know, like I, I've been in situations where I've seen employees just be like they're given like a. A red slip and all of a sudden they're packing up their boxes and off you go. You don't have access to the computers. You don't have access to whatever project you were working on. You don't have access to those things because of course, um, uh, what do I want to say? Companies are very worried that after a firing or a laying off, people are angry and will retaliate or try to break uh, property or who knows, you know, on their way out. Yeah. Well, there wasn't anything I think that was necessarily incorrect about um, you know, banning her from being able to potentially st say things on these groups that would mal malign either the OSF or John or anybody else working on the board. 
Um, and then she mischaracterizes a lot too, you know, that like Joanna was trying to um, not let the board know or fire her. You know, it, it really, we were all trying to help them. We were all really trying to help them um, have this as less amount of public humiliation. We know how the post-Mormon world can be. We know how the world can be. We're all very grabby towards, you know, dirty talk and stories that are exciting and anything that has to do with sexual infidelity or anything like that. People are very gossipy and, and can be kind of cruel about. So we were really trying to save both of them from, from, from those types of effects. So, it, yeah. So as we started getting these kinds of emails and threats, um, First of all, it was offensive because we had tried to be friendly and we had been friends. Again, these weren't like cold board directors that didn't know the parties. Um, and secondly, it was like, wow, what a plan. Sounds like a pretty self-aggrandizing plan that you have going on. Um, and it made us even wonder, like, is she not wanting to settle this because she feels like she will actually benefit from this being a public story and make a lot of money off of it. And so all of, that's when we really started saying, let's start getting lawyers involved, please, because it's way over our heads at this point. Okay. Yeah. So those tactics on her part did not succeed in getting her put back in charge of the, the no. Facebook groups. No, oh, no. At this point we're concerned. Like, okay. We're like, thank goodness. <laughs> thank well, goodness. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just a quick little note. Again, I'm an outside observer. And while I certainly consider myself having a friendship with John from a distance, I don't know him that well. And I haven't hung around him a ton. But as I listen to plan B here and read what the words on the screen, I'm a little bothered by the kind of like, I'll intentionally manipulate with emotions in order to make this go a certain way. Mm. And I'm, I'm one that really believes that whatever happens, whatever's happened, like that should be dealt with in credible ways, but it should also not involve any kind of manipulation. And, and a, some of that wording does make me a little uh, disturbed. And she's been true to her word because although we're talking about this now, 10 years later, um, this has been something that both the OSF and John DeLynn has had to deal with throughout, you know, throughout, there's been ongoing emails, ongoing threats, getting other people involved who then have opinions that they're not truly informed about. Um, so this, at this point in my relationship with John, I just ex expect that about every year, something's gonna come up that addresses this issue again. Yeah, okay. So let's go to March of 2013, if we can, because it was in that month that Ann Peffer McMullen filed a complaint against the Open Stories Foundation with the New Hampshire Council for Human Rights, correct? Okay. And, so and, we, were, and we welcomed things like that. Like, yes, please have other legal and authorized entities. If there is to be an investigation and if she does have information that she hasn't shared with us for whatever reasons, by all means, let investigative forces take over. Yes, because by the way, procedurally, I, I did some research on the New Hampshire Board or Council for Human Relations, Human Rights, excuse me, mm -hmm. as well. And once a complaint is made, they assign an independent investigator to investigate the complaint. Isn't that correct? I don't know. Okay, it is. Thank you. At least that's what their website says. I'm so not I'm a trust them on that. That's okay. I just read it. So uh, apparently one was involved in that, an independent investigator. 
However, ultimately, she's going to withdraw that complaint as well. But but can we get the uh, the copy of the complaint, Bill? I think that's um, yes. This is the New Hampshire Commission for Human Rights. This is their letterhead uh, advising on March 6, 2013, the chief executive officer of the Open Stories Foundation, that there has been a complaint filed. It's been assigned the name of Ann Peffer versus Open Stories Foundation. That's the, the letterhead, and it's a couple page letter. Can you scroll down through that until we get to the actual complaint that was typed out by Ann Peffer? Yeah, you have to go down. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going. A lot of boilerplate in there. Okay. So here is the actual, it says a charge of discrimination. This is, if you can scroll through that really quick, Bill, get, go, keep going. Okay. Thank you. There's yeah. some personal information. I think she's moved since then, but let's not have that on there. Now right. we get to that. We go to number one. This is the sum and substance of the complaint. So um, here it is. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and read this very quickly. I, this is Ann Peffer filing a complaint against OSF. I worked for a respondent company, that's OSF, between December 2010 and December 2011 as a volunteer and then was hired as an employee in 2012. You mentioned that, Natasha, being hired as an employee. I worked for my home until my discharge on August 31st, 2012. I served as director of operations. Number four, my job performance was excellent. Number five, the executive director, John DeLynn, and I engaged in a consensual, sexual, and emotional relationship. Six, I repeatedly told him that I wanted to discontinue the sexual aspect of our relationship. Seven, he attempted to continue a sexual relationship. Keep scrolling, Bill. Thank you. Eight, on August 9th, I told him that because of his insistence on the sexual aspect of our relationship, I could no longer have any personal relationship with him. By the way, that paragraph eight is going to end up being important later on because she gives the date of August 9th, which in context is obviously August 9th, 2012 because she gets uh, fired at the end of that month. On August 9th, I told him that because of his insistence on the sexual aspect of our relationship, I could no longer have any personal relationship with him. She continues, on August 10th, he emailed me that I would have to leave the organization. On August 11th, he changed my password, making it impossible for me to perform some of the functions of my job. 11, on the same date, DeLynn informed Joanna Brooks, the chair of the organization, that we had fallen in love, and she requested that I leave the organization. 12, between August 12th and August 22nd, I was no longer allowed to work with the volunteers whom I had been managing in New York City, Seattle, and Washington, D.C. My responsibilities were given to others and I was isolated from the business. And then 13, on August 22nd, I reported to Brooks our relationship that I had told DeLynn to stop and he refused and kept on pursuing me. And then, uh, is there any more? There must be more, Bill. Yeah, 14. On August 23rd, DeLynn changed my passwords again and removed my access to all of the online communities I was in charge of. 15, he banned me from them in a manner that allows their leaders to see the banning and remove my name from all locations on the website. 16, on August 25th, Brooks asked myself and DeLynn to resign. So there she does have the part about asking both to resign. On August 27th, I told Brooks that I would not resign or sign a release. On August 31st, I received a letter from an attorney for the organization informing me that I am being terminated. Number 19, on September 6, 2012, I informed other members of the board about the sexual harassment. 20, on September 9th, the board reinstated me as a temporary employee. Okay, that lines up with what you were saying earlier, Natasha. Can you continue to scroll, Bill? Uh, 21, on September 
17th, I was informed by two members of the board that I will be fired a second time unless I resign. 22, after this telephone call, I submitted my letter of forced resignation. 22, I believe the reason that I was fired was because I was unwilling to continue the personal and sexual component of my relationship with Delin, and because I complained to the board about his insistence upon attempting to continue that relationship after, after it was no longer welcome. 24, as a result of my termination, I have suffered financial loss, emotional injury, and damage to my reputation. Okay, so that is the substance of her complaint. Now, uh, Natasha, did Ann Pfeffer McMullen produce or supply any documentation or anything to support those allegations other than that bare bones complaint? No, not to us. And and like I said, John DeLynn had shared all of his text conversations with um, Anne and also offered to me and others, like even if, if you want to check my phone to make sure I'm not just giving you only ones that would benefit my side of things, like he was willing to hand over his phone. I don't know that we ever took him up on that, but. Okay. So um, did the Open Stories Foundation file a response to this? Yes, I believe we did. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's about seven pages long. We're not going to go over that in detail right oh, yes, now. Yes, we did. <laughs> what? So, yes, we did then. <laughs> yes. Yes. I try not to ask questions I don't know the answer to. I don't always succeed. It's my goal. Um, but, yeah, you did. Yeah, and, so and we, we, we submitted all the evidence we had. We, like, like I said, we were just ready to turn it over to more legal processes at this point. Right. There was a seven-page response, which was the body of the response, and then uh, a number of attachments or exhibits that were uh, appended to that response, correct? Correct. Sorry, I'm muting myself because my dogs are barking. And even some of her allegations in that, I mean, some of those were absolutely correct and some of them were not. So, Do you, you want know, to mention which ones were I, not? I don't know if it's that important. but It probably isn't. Yeah, it probably isn't. But if, if there's anything that, it, that you think is important that you want to comment on, please do. OK. I can put it back up. Are you looking at that right now, Natasha? If you would go up to the very beginning, then. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of us didn't really know what was happening between them and John. You know, John Dillon, like I said, John Dillon, Joanna Brooks and Anne we're trying to resolve this matter at first without the rest of us knowing. So some of that timeline, I really couldn't even speak to. Um, but that he, let's see. And I also want to point out that again, we're talking about an eight month relationship with this company. Um, so again, her, her, it, it sometimes it felt like she was saying, but I'm, you know, I'm as deserving or as important to this organization as John. Therefore, I'm deserving of all of these things. And um, quite frankly, you know, John had been creating this whole product primarily on his own for years. Um, and so anyways, I just said that's interesting to me. Her job performance was excellent. Um but this repeatedly told him that she wanted to discontinue the sexual aspect of our relationship. I have not seen any, I, I have never seen any text that would corroborate that. Have you seen texts that would indicate the opposite? Yes, I have. Can we go to the text? Because attached, one of the attachments to the OSF's response in this suit 
was a statement of John DeLynn or statement by John DeLynn, which he signed under penalty of perjury and in which he, uh, are you able to scroll up above that or get that off the screen for a second? Yeah. What, what do you want to see? Uh, nothing right now. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> but which he signed under penalty of perjury and which he spent the, um, the majority of it, the several pages long, uh, transcribing text messages between himself and, and Pepper McMullen on different days in order to give um, um, the flavor of what was going on. Now, those are a transcription that John DeLynn uh, made and that then he signed under penalty of perjury that they were accurate. He also stated that uh, this is not all the text, that there were hundreds of texts, but this is done in order to try and refute and rebut her allegations in her complaint. And this was the point where I wanted to ask you way back in 2012 when this was happening. Um, did John DeLynn allow you to see uh, copies of these text messages so that you could confirm that his transcription was correct? Yes, he would screenshot like text messages and then like send them to me and other members of the board. Okay. All right. Can we go? We, we're not going to go through all of these. By the way, the complaint that Ann Pepper McMullen filed, we're going to link to so people can uh, look at that more closely. Also, the response, the seven page response, and by that I mean the body of the response by the OSF, we'll also link to in the show notes. And then the statement of John DeLynn, which is one of the attachments to the OSF's response, we'll also link to in the show notes. Um, but we're just going to focus on two days right now July 24th, 2012. And August 9th, 2012. So, uh, Bill, now could you show that? Would you be kind enough? Okay, so this is from the statement of John DeLynn. Um, Bill, could yeah. you do me a favor? Sure. My voice is starting to get tired. Could you read this? Yeah, so this is on July 24th, 2012. Ms. Pepper and I exchanged the following text. At 10.14 a.m., Ann McMullen Pepper, would you make love to me? Long pause. By the way, can you say, I'm sorry, because we were also doing this on audio formats. I just want to make sure that it's really clear that this is Ann McMullen Peffer being identified as the person who sent this text at 1014 a.m. Okay, so Ann is speaking first at 1014. She says, would you make love to me? Uh, long pause. At least that's proof to whomever reads this that we've never had sex. John, a minute later, says, I don't think so. I think that would break us both. I really do. A minute later, Anne uh, says, I don't think I want to be with a man who toys with me and doesn't make love to me. Uh, John responds, I know, thus the continual run away. Uh, then Anne responds, make love to me. And John responds, ha ha, LOL. At 1018, Anne says, I'm not joking. At 1019, John states, I won't make love to you because I love you. It would hurt you. I swear it. Uh, 5.15 p.m., uh, John then comes back a second time and says, I'm 100% sure that the best thing for you to do in your life is to never have anything to do with me again, 100%, and yet you won't leave and I can't go. So you're choosing this and then resenting me for it. You're holding us in a double bind by choice and blaming me. When you, when you are sad, OSF is nice, but nothing matters for you and your family if you're sad, broken, and or dead. You accused me earlier of being the martyr. You may want to look at yourself with those same lenses. At 5.58 p.m., John says, P.S., I could accuse you of toying with me for refusing to leave, but continually accusing me of harming you and your family 
or for telling me to not text or write you about non-work stuff. And the... I think that's then. Yeah, to be then. then. Have you text me about work stuff or to send me photos or messages of caring? I'm not complaining because I love you. I love hearing from you. And I don't blame you, but it hurts when you blame me for stuff. At 611, uh, Anne says, I wish that what I was saying made sense. It would have been better over the phone. I'm sorry that it feels like blaming. I'm sorry for the layer, the layer of blaming that is part of it. I'm sorry for toying with you. Okay, so thanks for reading that. Now, we're going to go to August 9th now. We went to July 24th because I think that was important for a number of reasons. Uh, but let's go to August 9th. Before we get to August 9th, can you once again put up the complaint, uh, Bill, that part you highlighted on paragraph 8? This is from Ann Pfeffer McMullen's complaint with the New Hampshire Commission. On August 9th, I told him that because of his insistence on the sexual aspect of our relationship, I could no longer have any personal relationship with him. Yeah, let's let's be clear here. So she's saying that because John's insisting on a sexual uh, aspect in their relationship, she could no longer have any personal relationship with him. Right. Yeah. Can we go to the text messages from August 9th, that very same day, 2012? And could you do the honors again, Bill? Yeah, no sweat. On August 9th, 2012, Ms. Peffer and I exchanged the following text messages. Uh, and, and then if people are watching the screen, you'll notice that we did redact her phone number. That's the reason for each of those black marks. Uh, and yeah, we seem to need each other. Glad I've helped in some way. I'm wondering where this crazy life will take us or me at least. Uh, John then responds, day by day is all we have. And uh, then responds, I'm just happy that someone I need needs me too. Um, John's response back, it's so crucial that we don't Skype or be in the same city. I think we'd crack. And says, I guess that means I shouldn't tell you what I'm wearing. Uh, then she responds a couple of uh, maybe a minute or so later, just kidding. And then she responds, mean joke. Uh, John responds, yes, terribly sad, agreed, walking. No Skype, never in the same city unless chaperone. Agreed, agreed. At this point, we're at 2.04 p.m. Uh, Anne says, I just love you. Uh, Anne then says, I would make some very, very nice love to you. And then she says, it's hard not to seduce you. You give me, you should give me lots of credit here. Um, and then she responds, ooh, but what if I want you to seduce me? Uh, then she says, I think I know what you need right now. Yep, I could do that so enjoyably. She then says, we need each other, plain and simple. At this point, we're at 3.13 p.m. John responds, I want to be clear about something. This isn't because you said something that hurt my feelings today. It is because I believed for over a year that working together would hurt you, me, and our families. And it has. Uh, now we're at 8.31 p.m. John says, it's been beautiful and harmful. And it's harming me right now. I'm sorry. It's harming me now. And I believe it's harming you and our families now. And I really sincerely want, need us to stop working together. John then says, I hope you can understand. It's not because I'm ungrateful for all you've done. Uh, he then says, it's because this is hurting me. And I believe it's hurting us and definitely our families. Please, please go. Please don't make me keep asking. Please just go this time for good. And then he ends with a last please, I think, at the end of that text message. 
Um, Natasha, was it uh, this kind of evidence that John DeLynn provided to the board initially um, that led to that helped lead you to the conclusion that you said you reached that Ampeffer McMullen's allegations were probably not true? Yes, it, it felt pretty clear that they had fallen in love or had some type of emotional and or sexual. I'm always the one that says, you know, sex shouldn't just be considered sex, like intercourse, right? So maybe there had been some type of sexual or physical connection between them. We don't know. That's none of our business, really. Um, but there, it was obvious that they had had a meaningful, connective experience working together. And I had seen them together at times that year, and I will say that I had noticed that. Um, I didn't what had know. You I didn't know for sure. I didn't ask any questions, but there was definitely a flirtatiousness between them when we would get together at these events that sometimes I was a part of, and I could tell that they were very friendly with one another. So sometimes you wonder. I mean, I didn't ask anything, but their their interactions together were very flirtatious and fun and friendly and that was that so i had never seen anything um, i mean i've seen other volunteers work with john and it's more business-like or it's more you know um maybe where there's more of a kind of boss volunteer type of position you know like well what do you need me to do and how can i help and and ann and john had were much more mutual and and their way of interacting with each other so yeah i've got a question here which is um in all of this process has ann suggested that these text messages are out of context has she suggested that this isn't accurate that this is made up this isn't really what was said do we know any of that not not to me i mean she never said anything like that to me or to the board that i'm aware of rfm are you aware in your research for this if if there's any argument that these text messages aren't real or again i know natasha you've already verified that you've seen them and they are real but again just again the kind of establishing a second witness is there is there any conversation out there in the internet that says these aren't legit or this isn't representing what happened no i have not seen anything and in fact uh the next thing we're going to get to is that a year and a half goes by where i understand that there is nothing going on in court with filings there may be some behind the scene negotiation between lawyers to see if some kind of resolution can be worked out. Eventually that falls through and Ann Pepper McMullen withdraws her complaint. Yeah. And, and I want to say too, again, watching all of this as it unfolds here, um, what she claimed in her, in her allegation seems to be to some extent, kind of the opposite of what went on that very day that she claimed in these text messages, right? That seems to be the case to me. Yeah. Um, August 9th, 2012. Yeah, that seem, it, it does seem to be the case. Now, again, maybe people have got their dates mixed up and, and other things. But from what we've got, it seems to some extent contradictory. Yeah. Yes, I know. And, and she never really said to me in, in our personal conversations, John is forcing me to stay and he's forcing me to have sex. She never said those things, but she was saying that, you know, she felt that there was like a like a power differential and that she wasn't going to be able to keep her work due to this working, their relationship becoming an unworkable situation. Those were the types of complaints that I remember getting from her directly. 
So uh, October of no September of 2014 now rolls around, and that's when Ann Pepper McMillan withdraws her complaint with the document she files with the New Hampshire Council for Human Rights or Commission. Yeah, and I don't know why that would happen. I don't know if they told her you really don't have a case here, or if she just chose to do that on her own. I have no idea. Well, a year and a half later, what what happens? Can you bring up that document, Bill? Do you have that? I think it's D. Yeah, it's a seven-page letter in which uh, it's September 24th, 2014. Dear Ms. Hutchison, who is the investigator, Addie Hutchison, who had been the one assigned, I guess, a year and a half before when she filed the original complaint to investigate this. And uh, the first line is, I have elected to withdraw my charge because the number of employees at the Open Stories Foundation during my employment is in question. Now, let me just say this really briefly, okay? So people understand when you look at the response from the Open Stories Foundation, one of the things they lead with is saying, look, this doesn't apply unless it's an organization that has more than six employees. Open Stories Foundation has never had more than two. Therefore, procedurally, jurisdictionally, this doesn't apply and it should be dismissed. So a year and a half later now, um, I don't know where the investigation had gotten by that point, but, you know, I'm not privy to that. But and. Heffer McMullen is writing to withdraw her complaint and saying that the reason she's withdrawing the complaint now is because about the number of employees. Now she will go on for seven pages uh, talking about many, many different things. And one of the things that she talks about in great detail is these emails or excuse me, text messages that John DeLenz uh, submitted to the commission in his statement. Uh, we're going to link to this document as well so everybody can read it. It takes quite a bit of time to read it. And what you're going to do is you're going to find out that she takes a lot of umbrage at the inclusion of those text messages. She feels it was a violation of her privacy. She feels it was the wrong thing to do. Uh, she says there were hundreds, if not thousands, of text message that, messages that went back and forth between them that anybody could take and cherry pick certain text messages in order to uh, portray a certain series of events from one perspective or the other. Uh, she says, I have lots of text messages myself that show something very different, but I'm not going to disclose them uh, because then that would be two wrongs making a right. And she's not going to violate John DeLynn's privacy the way he violated hers by producing those text messages. So it's really um, a very long letter that says I'm withdrawing my complaint uh, but the point I'm driving toward, that I'm laboring toward, actually, is that at no point in this did I ever see anything in this seven-page letter dealing in large measure with those text messages that actually denied the accuracy of the text messages that John DeLynn had produced and submitted. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Now, believe it or not, we've got another guest who's been cooling her heels in the green room. Natasha, you've been wonderful. Do you have anything that you would like to say uh, before we let you go? Not really. I mean, I know, you know, in, in a lot of ways, maybe people might wonder about my, um, what do I want to say? My allegiances. I think most people know that John and Margie are good friends of mine, but I would have said that about Anne as well. Um, and I'm not, I'm not shy to disagree with John or to understand that John sometimes you know, has made errors maybe in the way he addresses women or minorities or 
all kinds of things um, as we all do. And so I'm not, I'm not here to just kind of like support my friend. I'm really just here to share what I know the situation at the time. And I'm glad that John, Margie and myself have been able to remain friends. I was actually sad that Anne and I really didn't keep in touch after this because it was just very difficult and hard to understand her communications with us at that time. So I'm trying to be as partial as possible, but <laughs> as partial, I, what, what does partial mean? It means impartial. you're on one side or the other. I'm trying to be as impartial. Uh, I thought that's what you objective, meant. Right. As possible. But I am, I was intimately involved as a friend to both of them at the time, which of course means a lot of my own feelings. As I think the board, we were just hurting for both of them. And I wish both Anne and John the best. And I hope that this can be resolved once and for all. Can I ask you one last question before you go? Yes. If you had thought John was in the wrong back in 2012 and 13, would you have called him on it? Oh, absolutely. I was super prepared to call him out as I always am. <laughs> and I hope people are willing to call me out too on my shiz. So <laughs> I'm a big believer of calling each other out. All right. Well, thank and we you. Did. We did call him out. We, we said this was really stupid. It was really dumb to get into a sexual or emotional relationship with, you know, an employee or a volunteer. And that's true of most companies. And most companies have these types of issues happening anyway, you know, even though it's, it's very complicated when you mix emotional, sexual things with work relationships. So we did call him out. We called them both out on that kind of stuff. But, um, but I also, you know, when I saw these things, I was like, well, I can't call you out on things I'm not seeing. Right. Well, thank you once again for joining us tonight. Will you go to the green room? Because we want to have a little time at the end of this, if people are still with us, for people to call in and ask questions. That sure. They might have. For Thank sure. you so much. So now our next guest is going to be a person who was on the board of directors in 2018, the board of directors of Open Stories Foundation, and was actually involved in the investigation of the second time that Ann Peffer McMullen brought this complaint to the board, the first time being in 2012, and the second time to the board in 2018. I would like to bring on um, someone who probably needs no introduction. This is Nadine Hansen. Nadine, are you still with us? I sure am. You're in a nice comfy chair. Did you go to sleep? I am. <laughs> no, I did not. How could I possibly go to sleep with Natasha talking about this story? She did an excellent job. And even though I have investigated this situation previously, I learned new things from hearing her talk. Well, great. Do I have this correct that you were on the board of directors for the Open Stories Foundation in 2018? That sounds right. Okay. I I don't know exact dates, but yes, I, I think 2018 is when I was on the board. Yes. And you're a lawyer too, like me, right? Yes, I am. Well, I don't, I don't know that I'm a lawyer like you, but I am a lawyer. Nobody's a lawyer like me, which <laughs> is good news for all the other lawyers, let me tell you. <laughs> So, but uh, uh, in 2018, did Ann Pepper McMullen renew her allegation against John DeLynn to the Open Stories Foundation Board? Yes, and let me explain how that came about. At the time, um, we we there was a lot of of talk in public sectors about the about sexual harassment as a 
you know, the Me Too time and things like that. And um, so we decided that we should have a sexual harassment policy. And we hadn't, you know, the Open Stories Foundation, Mormon Stories had never had an official written down sexual harassment policy until that time. So we put one together and voted on it, put it into place. And one of the things that we had in the, in the policy was a mechanism for people to report sexual harassment. And we got a report um, from Anne and it was not, when we promulgated the policy, it was our intent to have this going forward. And the only, the only report we ever had of sexual harassment while I was on the board was that Anne renewed the, the policy that had, I mean, Anne renewed the complaint that had gone on before we had a policy. So we, we took her complaint seriously, but we initially weren't really sure what we should do with it because this had been resolved already by the prior board. But we, we did want to make sure that things were done right in the past. And so in order to investigate what happened, we got in contact with Joanna Brooks and other members of the board and we asked for information about what happened back then. And we, we were provided with the documents that you have put up and discussed with Natasha, along with many, many, many other documents. And we, we read through all of them. I read through all of them. It took me hours to do it. Um, and what, what was really obvious to me was that the board at the time had spent hours and hours and hours going through all of the situation, trying to resolve the situation, tr trying to get all the facts about what went on. And in the end, they had determined that there was no basis for the sexual harassment complaint. And now being a lawyer, uh, I guess I treated this in some ways like an appeal. So you go to court, you make your case, and you win or you lose. And if you lose, you can file an appeal to the higher court. And when you file the appeal to the higher court, there, there are some kinds of things that you, that you really can't bring up. So you can bring up things about uh, you know, ineffective assistance of counsel. Your lawyer didn't properly represent you. You can bring up legal mistakes. The judge at the time made the wrong rulings and did and kept out evidence that should have been admitted or admitted evidence that shouldn't have been uh, admitted and con considered. And so in that sense, we weren't trying to try the case all over again. But we were trying to make sure that Anne got a fair hearing the first time around. And that was important to us. So we went through all of this information, all of the documents. And then I consulted with an attorney and um, explained to him what had happened. And um, in the end, uh, his advice was that the, the, it appeared to him and it appeared to us 
that the board at the time had fully, thoroughly investigated everything and that they had come to the right decision. Nadine, can I ask you a question? Sure. That's why Did I'm here. You, thank you. Did you reach out personally to Anne to ask her if she had any additional information that she wanted to present to the board in support of her claim? I did ask her by uh, not, I didn't have a conversation with her. I asked her through the, through the reporting process and through the email that we had, if she had anything else to offer. And she referred me to um, some things on the internet. And I think it was a, a place called Mormon Discussions at, where she had I mean, it's spoken, but she typed uh, uh, and told the story of, of John's harassment there. And I had actually seen those those posts many years before, before I had any idea uh, who was making the allegations. She, she filed there or she posted there in the persona of Rosebud. And John, in response, had posted in. It, it, well, either from a, a name from Mormon stories or or in his own name. I don't recall which, but it was apparent that it was him that was responding. Okay, so I want to get to that, but let me just say that this is a, an interesting thing for me. First off, Mormon uh, Discussions Message Board is a completely unrelated entity to Mormon Discussions Podcast. They just happen to share that same name. Right. And I have okay. posted on the Mormon Discussions message board for many years now. And so in the strange confluence of events, I have been aware of a person who goes by the name Rosebud, who has posted numerous times over at the Mormon Discussions board. By the way, that's now been now called the Discussing Mormonism board. They had to revamp the board just for anybody who wants to find it and can't find it under that name. It's now Discussing okay. Mormonism. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, it, what it appeared to me is that anytime John DeLynn's name came up among the regular participants of the board, uh, in any context whatsoever, that immediately or shortly thereafter, Rosebud would land in the middle of the discussion and want to start bringing up these nebulous allegations of sexual harassment that she had suffered at the hands of John DeLynn. And I will tell you this too, just because I, I've been there for a while and I know these people, at least virtually, if not personally, that this board has many of the most intelligent people that I know and knowledgeable people about Mormonism and whatever their particular field happens to be. They're really, really smart people over there. And almost without exception, they're extremely uh, progressive, extremely pro-women's rights, um, and also extremely anti-John DeLynn. Now, by that, I mean, there's no fans of John DeLynn over there. I think they appreciate what he's okay. presented, but they're not fans. Of, and I bring this up only to say this, is that uh, when Rosebud initially showed up over there, and she showed up over there time after time after time over the years, just in that one little corner of the, the blogger knackle, um, that initially she was welcomed and people were sympathetic and they wanted to find out what had happened. And what happened over time is that they asked intelligent questions of her she continued to evade the question and never answer it with a specific allegation of anything that John DeLynn had done to her and then go off in, in these vast 
um, amorphous discussions about how she's the victim. And this happened over and over to the point where everybody, to my knowledge, over at the Mormon discussion message board, wrote her off and figured that uh, they didn't want anything to do with her anymore. Once again, these are people who have no uh, dog in the fight for John DeLynn. They don't really like John DeLynn that much. And they were sympathetic to her at first, but eventually they came to the point where, look, we've had it. If you can't even string together a simple allegation of a specific instance of something that happened, then we're really not interested in listening to you anymore. Um, are those the posts that were written by Rosebud that you reviewed over there? Um, yes, and it, but, but by review, uh, um, it was at the time or close to the time when they were being posted. I'm not really a, a follower of that particular discussion board and I haven't looked at it for years, um, but I, I had happened upon it at one point when the, this discussion was really kind of going on contemporaneously with what I was looking at. And uh, I, I had the same frustration that you just mentioned. I was certainly willing to, to give this person Rosebud who I had no idea who, who she was, or for that matter, even if she's, if she's a she, because anybody can be anybody on a, on discussion board, but, but um, I, I did read it. And then as John responded, I thought, okay, well, there is something to this. There is some kind of a re relationship be between Rosebud and John, because otherwise he wouldn't be making any response. So uh, uh, to, to that extent, uh, at least I figured out that they, they knew each other. They, there was some kind of relationship that went on but I had no way of knowing what it was. So when I had found that discussion, I had just read it quite a bit, just out of general, uh, um, maybe perverse interest. <laughs> and so I, I read through it, but I had that same frustration that you did, that people would ask her specifically, what did John DeLynn do? And, there was never anything specific that I ever saw. And um, so I was real eager as an investigator of this at this late date to go back and comb through thousands of posts on a message board for information about what John had uh, purportedly done in, in this sexual harassment claim. Because really, if you're claiming that somebody sexually harassed you, a message board isn't the place to get redress for it. Uh, the place to get redress for it is to make those allegations like in the New Hampshire complaint or directly to the board that's investigating it at that time. And when I couldn't find any specific allegations there, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into what is put onto an anonymous board. But if I'm understanding you correctly, she didn't simply tell you in response to your question what the allegation was. She referred you over to this Mormon discussions message board to see what Rose, what she had posted right. there as Rosebud. Right, okay. right. And there, there weren't any new allegations. And also, let me just say this. I have had an extremely difficult week with major demands on my time. And 
so I have not had time to go back and read anything that I wrote at the time. I'm speaking only from my recollection. And if I misrecall something, it's not an intentional slight to either John or Anne. It's just that it's been a long time and I might not remember everything. Well, thank you. The last thing I want to cover with you is that, well, maybe the second to last. In 2018, the board, as serving sort of as a court of appeals, reinvestigated, mm -hmm. rehashed, relooked at this accusation. Right. And the board's determination in 2018 was what? Uh, the, the board's determination was that uh, we just weren't going to reopen this, that the prior board had already done their, their work, their investigation, and their decision stands. Okay. And, and, you felt um, and, I, and let me just say one other thing. Um, it, it wasn't the whole board investigating everything. There, there was me and one other person uh, who was on the board who looked at everything, and then we made a report to the board about what we found and what we didn't find. And then at that point, uh, and then and after consulting with the attorney about how to approach it, then we we put together a letter. The attorney had had suggested some language to it, if I remember right. And I think we largely used his language, but uh, maybe added a few things of our own. And that was That's a letter to, to Anne? A letter to, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Telling them the results of the investigation. Uh, yeah, well, yes, that we had reinvestigated, determined that the prior board had acted correctly, and that was the end of it. Got it. Now, that was in 2018. Yes. It's now 2021. Right. The board didn't say anything about this publicly in 2018, did they? I don't believe so. I mean, you know, when you have a policy, an internal policy like that, just in general, it, it, it's meant to be confidential. And I would have preferred to see it remain confidential. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider bringing it up. But given what has happened in, in the recent time, I, I, I watched the, the podcast with a certain individual and well, well I'll just say Kwaku and, and with Kate Kelly and I agree very much with a, with a lot of things that Kate Kelly said in that interview about sexual harassment in general about the the differential of power about how how powerful men often do take advantage of of subordinate women and and I agree wholeheartedly with a whole lot of those things but I've seen it, I've seen the facts. I've seen all the discussion. I've seen the claims and the rebuttal to the claims. And neither Kate nor Kwaku have seen those. And I think I know a little bit more about what happened than they do. Okay. Well, I'm about done with my questions for you. We're about ready to go with questions from the audience and bring Natasha back on. But before we do that, I wanted to give you the opportunity, Nadine, to say anything else that you wanted to say in closing. Well, let's see. Uh, I took a few notes while Natasha was speaking, so let me just check them. Um, if there's anything particularly important. Uh, 
No, I don't think this. Uh, I think that she covered everything that I had questions about. And I don't think there's any need for me to respond to anything she said, other than what I already have. Very good. Thank you so much. And please don't go anywhere unless okay. you absolutely have to. I think uh, it is now 6.45 p.m. my time, 7.45 p.m. Utah Mountain Time. And we want to give the audience a, a chance to ask questions. We try and be as transparent as possible on this show and responsive to the audience. But Bill had a few uh, an admonition or two yeah. to give to those who would call in. Yeah, so we welcome your phone calls. What what we're not going to do is we're not going to ask speculative questions because that's not who we have here. So your questions need to be about what these uh, two women experienced in this process, what they actually saw and heard. Um, and And we welcome those kinds of questions so that way they can speak to that. And we just, you know, just want to keep this kind of respectful. There's been a lot of comments, by the way, to the three of you, tons of comments on YouTube, Facebook, other places, and some of them just weren't appropriate. I tried to put ones up that were not too strong one way or the other that respected both parties here involved. And uh, I won't delete those because I think it's important for the public record that those be there, um, but they're not going to be part of this show. And we're just trying to kind of walk that line of giving the facts Kind of shining a light on those uh and again we'll put all these documents up um on the episode show notes uh, when it goes audio tomorrow morning great so our lines are open or should i say our line is open yeah 435-200-3478 or rfm and if you ladies want to join in it is also 200 fist Fist. So three four seven eight, uh, four three five two hundred three four seven eight. If anybody wants to call in, uh, I'll field those. Was I supposed to do a fist? Was that everybody does a fist when we get to fist? Okay. the last four digits spell fist on your phone dial? F I S T on your telephone. Nadine got that before I did. If you guys want to chat for a minute, I'll myself. I'll look for phone calls and I'll try to bring one here on board. Okay, thanks, Bill. Well, I think that um, I'll just reiterate what I said at the top because it's important that the point of this was really to try and treat a serious subject as seriously as it merits and as respectfully as is possible under the circumstances without ever taking, at least on my part, a position as to what did or did not happen in the final analysis. Because once again, I was not there. I don't know what happened. But what we've done is we've gone over the procedural history of these allegations and covered some of the evidence that was presented in different, um, well, different, I would say, forums, whether it's the, the Board of Open Stories Foundation or the New Hampshire Commission for Human Rights. I think Bill has a caller. Oh, he doesn't have a caller. I thought you were giving me the sign you have a caller. No, I was telling I was telling all those listeners out there to give us a call. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, apparently uh, our guests have. I don't know, frightened off any people who call. Maybe you answered all their questions, so nobody wants to call, which is always a good thing. We're pretty scary. scary. I think we're very scary. You have no idea how intimidating you two can be, especially together. (laughs) Oh, my. So if nobody wants to to call in with any questions, then, um, I mean, we can give it a, a few more minutes. You know, we can we can fold our arms and let the spirit move upon people to call in. But if, if they don't want to, that's fine. Uh, Bill's nodding. I think this nod means he's got someone on the line. Hey, give me just a sec. Okay. Bill Bill does everything with the technology. He's amazing. It's like he's patting his head and rubbing his tummy 
all throughout yeah. this program. I had no idea I could do all these things on a podcast. I'm just like, hello, let's talk. I don't even know how to keep track of comments. <laughs> There's a reason he's in charge of all of this. <laughs> and so now you see he's fielding it. He's finding out who it is. And um, he, see, he's also the call screener. You see, if we had a budget like the Open Stories Foundation, we could afford a call screener, see? Day by day. Um, so our first caller tonight is Jeannie. Jeannie, you're on the air with uh, Radio Free Mormon, Bill Real, Natasha Helfer, and uh, Nadine Hansen. And uh, go ahead Hi. and let us know what your thoughts are. Hello, you all. Uh, cheers from Canada. Um, I just wanted to offer my support for this show, for everything you do. Um, I'm wondering, in this situation, um, <laughs> what's the, uh, I, I'm just, I think we all get into situations that we don't want to air our dirty laundry in, and, and, and how is it helpful? I guess it, I guess the, the purpose of this is to just put it to rest finally. And so we can all move on and get doing the good work that you do. But but personally, I'm I'm kind of feeling bad for John. I wouldn't want my emails read or what. I mean, why did we have to do this? Yeah. Can I answer that? Please. So first of all, I think you have permission from John to read these uh, things. And secondly, we have tried for 10 years to keep things very confidential. But the allegations, I think, are getting worse and more difficult. Like I consistently see things about John that, you know, he's a rapist, he's a pedophile, he's a this, he's a that. Um, it's it's really, there's an unfortunate energy, I believe. I could wax strong, you know, long about in regards to post-Mormon healing. And it's always saddening to me when we are in the post-Mormon communities that we all have rightful wounds. And we also have, um, I believe, developmental stunting. We have a lot of healing to do. And oftentimes how I have seen that come across, not just with John and Anne, but in many situations, is that people turn on each other when we are the ones that need each other the most. So it's been very unfortunate for me to see this consistent um, kind of allegation story that has just gotten, you know, I think, I think we were all hoping it would die off, you know, it would kind of go away, but it consistently has more and more steam and more and more allegations that are really very serious, very difficult. And um, I think any of us being charged with allegations such as rape or child abuse, when that's not the case, would have a very hard time consistently dealing with those kinds of things happening. And those kinds of discussions are happening in many post-Mormon communities when it comes to John and I know others as well. So yeah, sometimes, um, although we would all want to protect kind of some private things, I, I, I do think this was a private story. <laughs> I don't think that every affair needs to be aired, but when one person kind of goes after another, sometimes we gotta just clean out the sheets and air them out. and. I think John has been willing to do that for a long time. And Margie has been willing to do that for a long time. I'm sure this is embarrassing to them and difficult, but we need to kind of just air out our, our laundry and get it all cleaned up. Nadine, did you have anything you wanted to say? Yeah. 
Natasha said it better than I could have. Well, she said it better than I could have, but that's not going to stop me from weighing it. Okay. Because yeah, this is, that's very, uh, it, it has to be understood. And a lot of people may not know this, but this thing's blowing up and it's been blowing up since maybe December of last year for the last several months. And it's just getting more heated and more heated. In fact, there's one place on the message board at uh, ex Mormon Reddit where one individual who I'm not going to mention his name is posting multiple threads and starting to leak emails and quoting from the text messages that we presented tonight, except this one person, we've seen the text messages. In fact, he says July 24th and August 9th are very important days. And then he picks only the lines out of the, the, uh, the text messages where John is saying, leave, please go, please, please go. That's it. He refuses to release or mention what it is that John is responding to. And then he's characterizing this as John telling her that she has to get out of the Open Stories Foundation. So that's another thing that's going on. Now, psychologically, what's happening is this, and this ties in with what Natasha said. This is the result, and some might say the purpose of making these amorphous, uh, large, uh, verbose allegations of unspecified sexual conduct and sexual misappropriate conduct, inappropriate conduct that's been going on now for years is that it's left to the imagination. And there are certain people lawyers among them who look at that and say, okay, where's your allegation? All you're doing is giving all of these generalized nothings that sound sinister, but what are you actually saying? That's one way of looking at it. That's the way I look at it. I think it's the way everybody here looks at it. But on the other hand, there's another group of people who are only too willing to play the game, which is to imagine the worst of what's being insinuated by these generalized and unspecific allegations create that in their head, and then they start running with it and making those allegations as if those are actually what had been alleged. And that gets back to what Natasha was saying about, oh, John's a rapist. You know, there's never been any allegation of that, but that's the natural result of these, um, I'll say tactics, okay, or the way this is presented. It's for people to assume what they want from the generalized verbosity and then create their own allegation, and then they're off and running. And then they start multiplying. And then by re repetition, they become true simply by repetition. So that's my take on it. And that's why I think this is important tonight. And I do think that this is why Natasha and Nadine have been willing now to come forward. This has all been secret and kept within the board for almost a decade now. And that's the reason they're coming forward now is because this is blowing up and it's blowing up because not because of John DeLynn or because of the OSF board, but because of other people who are trying to take down John DeLynn and or the OSF board. I also want to say that, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, this is hard for Margie. And um, but one thing that I've noticed just going through the last few weeks myself is that where this is actually specifically difficult is for our children. And I know that this has affected the DeLynn's children very deeply as you know the things that I've been going through I'm, I'm realizing now how it has affected my children deeply so you know we're messing with families and that's serious and nobody's deserving of that unless um, allegations are accurate and even then I don't know that families are deserving of consistent shame I think then you need to just deal with uh, legal repercussions to criminal behavior 
Perfect. Caller number two is Jacob. Jacob, you're on Mormonism Live uh, with all four of us. What's on your mind tonight, my friend? Yeah, I was just curious, um, you know, looking at the documentation, it really seemed, you know, like as far as allegations of sexual harassment, you know, that was pretty well discussed and well cleared. But I was wondering if uh, the OSF board had ever discussed or looked at maybe like a fraternization uh, issue at all to, to avoid like things in the future. Um, I know that's common in a lot of workplaces. Thanks. I, I don't know what fraternization means. What he's asking is that the OSF put in place policies and procedures so that, uh, co-volunteers, co-1099, co-employees, that those folks can't have any kind of intimate relationship with each other and that such would be um, somehow punishable, essentially. Can we let Nadine respond to that? Sure. Yeah, I'm okay with whoever responding. I'm not going to respond. I mean, since she's uh, she talked about the 2018 stuff, and I want to make sure she doesn't fall asleep on us here. Nadine, can you hear me? Nadine? Now I can't hear Bill. No, I, it was, I, there she is. I have a third caller, and so okay. I was just, okay. Uh, I, whatever happened, I could not see anything what happened the last two minutes or so. Okay, so, so I don't know what to the question. Said. <laughs> <laughs> I take this the is pick. like this is like a scene from law school that actually <laughs> happened to me. So, what's the question that you were paying any attention to? <laughs> no. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> What the question was, Nadine, was a caller had uh, asked whether the Open Stories Foundation has put any policies in place to prohibit fraternization of employees or board members. Okay. I did hear that part. I just didn't hear what happened after. Um, I, no. I mean, not not our board anyway. Not when I was on the board. It was, it, we, we dealt with the harassment thing. When there was no issue of sex, sexual harassment uh, before us, but I don't think we even thought about fraternization. Maybe that's something the new board could think about. Yeah, it would be interesting because I, I think, again, the caller pointed out a lot of companies do have that where you're not, you're just not allowed to have these kinds of relationships within a company, within an entity. Um, but again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Right. And regardless of any policies, these things will still happen, I'm sure. That's what I was going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. And I don't mean specifically at OSF. I mean everywhere. No, I, uh, yeah, that's what I meant too. Everywhere. <laughs> that's what workplace is one place people meet and form relationships and get married and have families. There's an upside and a downside to it. Yeah. So I think we've got a third phone call now. Bill is screening. And I'm watching his lips move. I can't read lips. <laughs> All right. So let's, you want to make this our last call for the night? Why don't we do that? It's seven, okay. it's eight o'clock your time. Yeah, we've gone long enough. So Sam, you are the last caller for the night. You're on Mormonism Live with Bill Real and RFM. You also happen to be with our guest, Natasha Nadine as well. Uh, what do you have for us? 
Well, first of all, hi to everybody, and hi, Natasha, and hi, uh, Nadine. We've had a long conversation with Nadine over the years on uh, Facebook and whatnot. And Natasha, of course, I know you very well. Now, here's my question. This, there was, so there's a sexual harassment claim. Um, it went to the board, and then it also went to this commission. Why would it go to a commission, and what is this New England Commission of Human Rights? Why wouldn't it go to a, an attorney that would take it to a regular court? How does that all work, and why didn't it end up in a court? Thank you, caller. Can that we throw that to Natasha? Natasha? I don't know any of that stuff. That's the two of you. <laughs> I have never heard of this place in my life. The New Hampshire Council for Human Rights? I mean, my gosh, apparently it's a real thing because they got a real letter with a real letterhead and they assigned a real investigator. So uh, it's a place. And I, I, I guess I think that Anne lived in New Hampshire at the time. I'm not sure about that, but I'm guessing that's why it was a New Hampshire entity. But right. And why they had jurisdiction? I, I don't know either. I've never been in, her, in New Hampshire, but I, I do know that in various states, there will be agencies that are set up to deal with discrimination claims. And uh, my, my sense is this is their, their official um, agency that does deal with, with these claims. Now, uh, jurisdictionally, I, I think the, the, the kinds of agencies that I'd be familiar with, if they're state agencies, have to deal with things that took place in that state. And I, I used to do employment law when I lived in California. It was my first job. And we represented public entities. And, and so typically, if somebody had a claim within a, an agency, uh, very often you had to go to a, a, a state agency and initiate your claim that way. And then if you go and have a, um, you, you could file a, a lawsuit in the court. But with, with the state who is aggrieved, doesn't have to hire a, uh, an attorney and they can get these things investigated without having to go through the whole legal process. And if the agency can resolve the problem, then it's just, it's a better and easier way to resolve things uh, than having to do everything with with somebody filing a lawsuit and the expense and time that it takes. So I'm guessing that's why it went to that, the agency first. Gotcha. gotcha. Ult ultimately, all I can say in response to Sam's question is that the choice of where and when and what to file as far as complaints was in the hands of Ann Peffer McMullen and her alone. So she made those decisions. I can't answer it other than to make that general observation. Well, and as you say that, I, I'm also just, as far as I know, there have been no other entities that have done any formal complaints against John DeLynn that I'm aware of in any other part of his life. Yeah, yeah. Right. and I should say that, by the way, there's several comments that came in that said, hey, are and there I any other allegations are there any other are there any other people who have come forward and said hey i'd like to have my chance to have my case heard uh as far as you know natasha that, that's not the case i have never heard of anything like that yes nadine 
Well, I, you know, sometimes there are complaints from employees, but but the because you know people have disagreements and things. Sure. But there were no when I was on the board, there were never any allegations of of sexual harassment, any kind of sexual claims. Yeah, nothing of this kind of magnitude. Just people not getting along. I guess. No, not right. Cool. And the rumor mill out there is also generating this idea that there is a lawsuit currently pending against John DeLynn over this. I think that's a confusion with the 2018 complaint or possibly the New Hampshire complaint in 2013. But I just wanted to ask both Nadine and Natasha whether you're aware of any current lawsuit against no. John DeLynn. I am not. Thank you. Perfect. Nor am I. Of course, neither of us on the board now, so maybe you have to ask the current board member. But, right. <laughs> but not while I was there, and and nobody while I was there said that there was anything in between when the initial complaint happened, and when we were at our, you know, doing our thing in 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, to tie that question Can't speak to after that, when were you there on the board Sorry. meeting? Uh, I was on the board for, I think, uh, I started in 2018. I don't know. I, I was on the board for a little over a year, I think, okay. uh, year and a quarter or something like that when I just didn't have time to do it anymore. Okay. Natasha, are you still on the board? I don't think so. <laughs> that's a pretty, that's a pretty <laughs> sad thing to say. I've been, I've been on and off of the open stories board for many years. I know I'm not currently on the board. <laughs> I should know that, shouldn't I? <laughs> and she wasn't on the board. <laughs> she was not on the board when I was on the board. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Uh, I want to thank our guests, Nadine and uh, Nadine Hansen and Natasha Helfer for coming on the show tonight and sharing what it is you know about this issue. I want to thank all the listeners. I want to thank you, Bill Real, for your wonderful Yaleman work with the technology, all the exhibits, the phone calls, everything that you do so wonderfully. Yeah, awesome. I think if it's okay, we'll excuse uh, these two ladies and then you and I can kind of give a little wrap up and uh, kind of close, you know, asking listeners for the thing we always kind of need to ask for. Yes, respect. Okay, that respect. I love it. Bye, you two. Nadine, Natasha, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Good night. So listeners, uh, I hope that was deeply helpful. Again, when the audio comes out tomorrow morning uh, in the podcast episode notes, wherever you're finding the actual text of that episode, Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, uh, Mormonism Live, and then the umbrella uh, conglomerate of all of those. Uh, these documents will be there. You're welcome to scour them to try to find things, but I'm, I'm guessing you, if, if RFM didn't find it, you're probably not going to find it either, but we welcome you scouring them. Uh, we'll share those there. Folks, if, if you understand this stuff is important, important. And uh, again, you and I give a lot of time to doing these kinds of things. Uh, if folks would go onto mormonismlive.org and click the donate button, uh, we would much appreciate it, and uh, that means a lot to helping us continue these kinds of conversations as things happen in Mormonism, which, if you know Mormonism, they, they always do. Amen to that. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Have a great evening.